it was it was good to see other athletes um, along with myself really sort of speak out for the community who might not have the voice to be able to or the platform to be able to say what they wanted to say and sort of demand that change um, and I think that's the only way I would have got back into CrossFit is if Glassman sold sold the company. Welcome to the Barbend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by Barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to Zach George, who finished the 2020 CrossFit Open in first among males in the United Kingdom. Zach's journey is an inspirational one. From overweight kid to the UK's fittest man, we talk about the challenges and humbling moments along his path. Zach also joins us to discuss how the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting the CrossFit game season, as well as his response to CrossFit HQ's organizational shakeup and outgoing CEO Greg Glassman's controversial comments. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend podcast in your app of choice. I'd also recommend subscribing to the Barbend newsletter to stay up to date on all things strength. Just go to barbend.com newsletter to start becoming the smartest person in your gym today. Now let's get to it. Zach George, thanks so much for joining us. One thing I have to, I, I absolutely have to start off with because I talk to a lot of athletes, one of the cool things about my job, but very few of them coach themselves. You coach yes. yourself. Why is that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think I because think I'm, a, I'm a, a bigger athlete. So I've always known that I just need to do a lot of fitness and gymnastics work. Mm. And I just really enjoy programming. So when I first started CrossFit in 2015, I think it was, um, I had uh, a good friend who's now my business partner, a guy called Harmeet. And he was probably like my first sort of coach figure because he taught me everything and how to perform all the exercises. Um, but once I kind of mastered them, yeah, I just sort of started the program for myself. And um, yeah, it seemed to pay off pretty well. So yeah, it's, it's something I love doing. And um, yeah, it's gone well. Well, I have to ask, programming for yourself, obviously it has gone well. It's, it's, it's worked. <laughs> You're the fittest man in the UK, one of the fittest athletes on the planet. But what are some of the specific challenges about programming for yourself as far as making sure you're attacking your weaknesses, trying to be objective about your own performance? What challenges you there? Yeah, I think the, the biggest uh, area people go wrong when they're programming for themselves is they just tend to program their strengths or the aspects of fitness that, that they like to perform which obviously that means all your weaknesses get left out. Um, but yeah, I've always kind of made sure I was attacking my weaknesses and addresses them as needed um, while still trying to increase my strengths to get even stronger at them. Um, be, being a big athlete, I'm always sort of one of these athletes that never really struggles with strength element. So I never really have to go on any sort of strength cycles or anything like that because, because I'm, I'm 100 kilos. So it's always easy for me to chuck weight around. Whereas trying to get to grips with the gymnastics and trying to move my body as efficiently as possible in the fitness aspects. That sort of stuff that I've really had to work on to try and compete at the top level. 
you definitely are one of the one of the largest kind of elite level CrossFit athletes being, you know, 100 kilos. For us who are a little kilo challenged in the U.S., 220 oh, yeah, pounds. pounds yeah. yeah, yeah, it definitely. Um, I mean, strength is is your strength. If you don't mind me asking, what are some of your um, what are some of your kind of uh, baseline numbers for like snatch, clean and jerk, back squat, deadlift, things like that? Yes, yeah, so I've not uh, not tested my maxes in a while, but the last time I did it was probably half a year ago now, I think it was. Um, clean jerk was 162 and snatch 127 and a half. So um, obviously I'd aim to have higher maxes now, but they're the last ones I tested. Mm. Um, back squats, again, it's not something I tend to focus on, but the last time I tested it, I can always hit around 220 and that's not really doing any sort of back squats strength program. Um, and then the deadlifts, I've got a little bit, uh, like an ongoing back issue. I don't really tend to max out my deadlifts. I've not done that in years. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, those are the numbers that I've got when I don't really focus too much on lifting. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a good aspect. It's, I think it's very fortunate to have, cause I think one of the longest and hardest things to, to develop as an athlete is strength. So I feel quite fortunate that I, I could sort of have those numbers and not really have to focus on them too much and then just really push on to the gymnastics and fitness but um i'm very lucky to have people around me in the the gym that keep me accountable if i'm not doing any exercise i should be doing Mm -hmm. so people might come into me like i'm not seeing you do rope climbs in a while start putting them in so it's not like i just solely listen to myself i've got people around me who help me with different areas um and i've now got like a swimming coach and a running coach so i have coaches in different areas that i'm not too familiar with but the pure sort of CrossFit side, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, I've always just coached myself. Um, but yeah, I'm very fortunate to have very good people around me. And I have a guy called Ben who will always be with me at competitions. He acts as like my coach role during competitions and he'll make sure that I don't have to worry about certain things. So he just makes sure my warm up times are all sorted for me. We go through workout strategies together. So I've definitely got a lot of people I can bounce ideas off. And um, yeah, it's not solely down to me, but I would say, yeah, I'm just my own coach, which is a, uh, yeah, it's pretty unique. I think at the, at the top level of the sport. Well, I've talked to a few different CrossFitters about about size differences at the elite levels, especially among the males. I've talked to Brent Fikowski about this. He's on the larger yeah. side for some of the, or yeah, on the definitely. larger, heavier side for you know an elite crosser. He's pretty pretty tall as well. And there, I think, are a lot of misconceptions uh, around CrossFit at the elite level being like a sport where you have to be five nine and one hundred ninety pounds or 185 pounds. You know, what are some of the misconceptions that you think people have about larger athletes in the sport? Yeah, I think definitely when you get to the games level, it definitely is less of an effect being that that height or that weight, because a lot of the a lot of the com, um, workouts at the games do develop and suit a, a larger athlete. Some of them, um, things like the open, the open is very specific to a certain type of athlete. So I think that's where you'll find your biggest challenge if you're a bigger athlete in height and weight is the open, because that is very sort of fitness orientated. Um, but as you get through the season and you go towards the games, I think it becomes less of an issue um, if you are heavier or, or slightly taller. Um, I think your biggest issues will be to to perform well in the open. And, and someone like Fikowski is a perfect example because he still places very well in the open, but nowhere near as good as he would do in a competition. Mm-hmm. And that's because the open is programmed a certain way and it definitely does suit a certain type of athlete. Not that Not that a bigger athlete can't do well in the open, but I think it does favor the smaller athletes. 
Well, you certainly did well in the Open. 2020 was a, a breakout year for you in the Open. Not like you hadn't been on the scene, not like you hadn't been competitive, but 2020, uh, you are the, the fittest man in the UK, finished top among males in the Open, out of the UK, finished 26th worldwide. Was there anything about your approach to training heading into or just how you approach the 2020 Open that was different in previous years to you know make such progress in that competition? Yeah, I think um, I think the year before, uh, 2019, I was very close. It was one workout that messed me up. Um, and that was, I think it was 19.3, I think, the one with the strict handstand press-ups. The, the, um, the, the bane of many, the bane of many taller, yeah. heavier athletes. <laughs> yeah, literally. So I think my results for the other four wads that year were like first, second, first, fifth, and then 168th. So that one workout cost me getting to the games in 2019. So from from then, I, I very I worked a lot on strict um, handstand press ups, and I also went on a, a diet before the Open in 2020. So I found that made a big difference. So like I said, I'm, like now I'm 100 kilos, and I'll train at 100 kilos throughout the year. But then if I've got anything like the games or the Open or a major competition, I'll always aim to get down to 96 kilograms. Um, so that, that, that difference in four kilos makes a huge difference. Um, and cause I don't really have to worry about losing too much strength. Um, it met, I think that was one of the key reasons that helped me win the open. And, um, I've been working with uh, M2 performance and nutrition and, uh, yeah, he keeps me on track and, um, that's sort of our aim for every competition now is to always compete at 96 kilos. And it makes such a big difference being four kilos lighter. Interesting. What what are some of the nutritional strategies you're using to cut weight, but still, you know, maintain optimal performance and as much strength as possible? Yeah, I think um, once I was working with M2, it's quite an unusual sort of athlete because because of my size and I train for three to four hours a day, I don't actually eat that much food. Um, so I'm on around three thousand five hundred seventy calories at the minute, which is not a lot for someone my size and for how much I train. So, um, and I, I love a cheat meal. I think that's my downfall. So weekends will be, <laughs> come Saturday or Sunday, I'm just like bathing in chocolate and sweets. <laughs> so uh, for the Open, all we did was basically cut out cheat meals. So for, for two, two months before the Open, I had exactly the same pretty much every day and just didn't have a cheat meal. And that literally dropped three to four kilos off. So I don't really have to change too much. It's just kind of, when I'm not got anything specific to to train towards, like at the minute I'm currently not going to the game, so I like to have a cheat meal at the weekends. Whereas once I've got, if I was going to the games in September, I wouldn't be having any, any cheat meals, and that really does make a difference. Well, one thing I have to ask is, okay, so you you drop some body weight for a competition, you have that competition, you've denied yourself the cheat meal for a few weeks yeah. or months leading up to that. What's that first cheat meal after the Open <laughs> or after a competition? Because that's got to be an epic it, one. Yeah, it's huge. It, it lasts about three or four days, and it's just a <laughs> rampage of a rampage <laughs> of donut, donuts, pizzas, chocolate, and sweets. So <laughs> I think uh, when I did the uh, the Dubai Dubai competition. Um, we had like a little mini holiday after me and my girlfriend for about five days after. And I think I put on, before, before going to that competition, I wasn't in peak uh, condition. I was about 98, but 99 kilos. Because um, I was just going for pure enjoyment because I'd already won the Open. And I came back at 104.5. And that's just because I went mad in four days and just ate everything. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, my go-to is literally donuts, pizzas, chocolate sweets. But I'm a very sort of person where I'm, I'm all or nothing. So mm. if I've not had anything for a while and then I'm allowed to have something, I literally go mad for a good couple of days. Um, yeah, and that's just the character I am. But um, yeah, I'll definitely make the most of having a lot of cheap food. Well, one thing I want I do want to talk about, because this is something you've been very open about in, in profiles and interviews that you've, you've done recently, is the fact that you, know, you were not always this paragon of fitness. You obviously weren't always the UK's fittest man. And you know, well before your career in, in fitness, you were you know, an adolescent who you, know, you admittedly have said that you, know, you struggled with your weight. I can yeah. very much relate. I'm over a hundred pounds lighter than I was at a certain point in, in high school. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and yeah, it is. And it's, it's something that, um, it does impact. I think it has impacted my approach to fitness and it's something I think that I credit for my interest in fitness and the fact that I'm in the fitness industry, although I, I write about fitness. So it's a little weird. I have an easier job than you do, I think in many ways. <laughs> um, but tell us a little bit about, about that journey and how you think that, impacts your approach to to wellness uh today yeah i think um as a kid if, if anyone knew me as a kid and then didn't meet me until now they would they wouldn't believe what i do now because as a kid i was very i was quite lazy i didn't want to do any exercise i just loved having mcdonald's kfc chocolate sweets literally every day um and then that lasted for quite a while i think i was the age of around 12 13 where my dad was like, right, we need to sort of, need to rein this in because if you carry on how, how you're going, when you get to your, your teens and early 20s, it's, you're going to be not happy in, in yourself. Um, so, uh, yeah, he famously offered me a PlayStation 2 in return to, <laughs> to, to, lose, to losing some weight. So I really wanted a PlayStation 2 at the time. I remember I was just begging him, can you get me one, please, please? And he was like, I'll make your deal. If, if you lose some weight, then I'll buy a PlayStation 2. And I was like, oh, amazing. Like, I don't really know how to do that, but I just figured out if I stopped having as much junk food, I'm probably going to lose some weight. Um, so yeah, instead of having sort of four or five McDonald's a week, I'd have maybe two. Instead of having a bag of Haribo every day after school, I'd just have it maybe twice a week. And um, yeah, the, the weight sort of dropped off. Um, not not massively, but I did lose some weight. And my dad was like, okay, cool. You, you stuck to your end your deal. I'll stick to mine. And he got me a PlayStation 2. And... Um, and that sort of carried on. He sort of would reward me with different things, um, like a new game or something like that. And then we went to an Anthony Robinson seminar. Um, I can't remember how old I was. It must have been around 14, 15. And um, it was a great sort of motivational weekend. It was a lot about health, um, nutrition, mindset. And I think after going to that seminar, it was the first time where I really wanted to lose weight for myself and not need an external sort of reward from anyone. So I think that was a big shift because that was the first time I really wanted to do it for myself. And then after that, I really started to, well, all of us as a family started getting to, into health a lot more. Um, I started to get a lot more active. I started to go do bodyweight workouts at home. Um, started playing a lot more sport. And it kind of became a lifestyle after that all the way into my, my late sort of teenage years. And that's when I was about 17, 18, I really, really got into my fitness and became a PT and sort of never looked back. But yeah, it all stemmed down from uh, my dad offering me a PlayStation 2. So um, yeah, I'm very glad he did. What, in your, in your early experiences in CrossFit, you, you know, I've read that you discovered CrossFit in around 2013. You really began it in 2015 because 
um, there weren't uh, a lot of CrossFit boxes or facilities in your yeah. area. I want to talk about CrossFit in the UK. Obviously, it's something that is popular. Um, obviously, it's something that where uh, the UK has sent a lot of fantastic athletes to the games, perhaps most famously 2013 Games champion Samantha Briggs, one of the yeah. best CrossFitters of, of, all, of all time. If there were a Hall of Fame, she'd be, you know, first ballot. Um, yeah, definitely. But when you were first getting into CrossFit, you know, I think 2015 CrossFit in the United States, there was a CrossFit box on every cor- corner. They were popping up everywhere. It was just massive here. It seems like it was a little bit slower growth uh, around where you were when it came to the popularity and accessibility of CrossFit. So was that challenging when you were first getting into the sport? Um, yeah, it definitely was. Like I, me- I remember um, I first watched it in 2013. I watched the CrossFit Games highlights and I was just like, this is mental. Like, I had no idea what was going on, but people were doing, I think it was the games where they did the swim and the bar muscle workout. Um, and I was like, this is just mental. Like, what these guys can do is insane. And I just remember being addicted to watching highlights. And it was from the days when that's when you had Spieler, Kalipa, Fronin, um, like Graham Holmberg. And I just got addicted to watching all their YouTube videos. Um, and then, yeah, th- there wasn't really many boxes around at that time. And I remember I traveled to Unit 22 in a place called Northampton, which is about 45 minutes away. Um, so that was a sort of a big effort for me to to make that commitment because I could only go once or twice a week because it took so long to get there, so long to get back. It was pretty much half the day gone. So I couldn't really afford to take that much time off work to be able to get there. So I was literally going once or twice a week. And as you know, if you want to really progress in CrossFit, you can't just do it once or twice a week. Um, but I did that for about a year, a year and a half, entered a few competitions, uh, got annihilated. And I was just like, right, I think I need to... I need to sort of up my game here because I'm just not progressing enough and the standard's just crazy when you go to these competitions. Um, and because obviously I wasn't really involved in a box per se, as in going to a box every every day, you don't really get to know what the standard is because you're only dipping in and out of a box once or twice a week. Um, so I opened a commercial gym in 2015 um, and that was a mixture of fitness classes. We had some uh, bodybuilder type machinery and then we had a really small rig in the corner. And I just used to practice what I could on my own. But again, trying to learn all the gymnastic movements on your own is never going to end well. So I would just chicken wing over ring muscle ups and chicken wing around a bar and thinking I'm doing it really well and then watch it back and I look horrendous. Um, and that's when Harmi came to my gym and I first met Harmi and he sort of said like, you've got good potential, but you have no idea what you're doing. And uh, he sort of taught me and took me in his wing and, and taught me everything for about a year or so. And then um, I really, really wanted to sort of make a dent in the UK CrossFit scene and, and get to the CrossFit Games. So um, I ended up opening a CrossFit box and that was probably the biggest shift, biggest athlete shift I had of my career was opening my own box because that enabled me to be around people who want to do CrossFit every day I had people to, to challenge me and, and do workouts against. Um, and it just made a, such a big difference being in that environment every single day. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that was probably the biggest sort of change in my career that I had was opening that box and, and having Harmeet there to, to predominantly coach all the classes where I could focus on training and recovery in between sessions. And, and that makes such a big difference. Um, I remember when I was 
working in the commercial gym, I'd be working sort of 12 hour days and trying to train for two or three hours. And you don't realize it in the time, but obviously your body just can't cope with that. And my performance was never really increasing as, as it should have been because I was just working too much. So being able to just go in the morning, train, come back in, in the afternoon, do whatever I need to do, maybe have a nap, get all the right nutritional food in and then go back in the evening and train again. That made a massive difference to my athlete career. Well, fast forward to 2000, the 2020 Open, which took place in late 2019. So it gets a little, it gets a little confusing. That yeah, was the confusing. confusing yeah, that was the yeah. year where we had two CrossFit Opens and now the CrossFit Open is a year ahead. Uh, it's kind of like when they release a new car. It's always the next year's model, the year they release yeah. it. It's confusing. Yeah. But you, do, you qualify for the CrossFit Games as the fittest out of the UK, um, which I'm sure was, I, I, I won't even ask you how that felt because the answer is clearly it felt great. It was dreams come true. But yeah. then things get a little bit derailed. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic strikes, the CrossFit game takes a very different form. It's no longer in Madison, Wisconsin. The field is, is narrowed very significantly. And most impactfully to you, national champions out of the open don't automatically qualify for the games anymore. And you were right on the cusp of being still in the kind of that, that top 20 world worldwide, but, but not quite there. When you found yeah. out about that, what was your communication like with, with CrossFit HQ? And, you know, was it made pretty clear that you weren't going to the games or was there still like a, you may or may not period? Yeah. Well, I, I still could potentially go now. It depends on, um, if people can fly or if people can get into the United States. Because I think um, once people have sort of declined their spot, if they go in team or whatnot, right, right, um, I think right. I'm about two or three spots out. So it still is, it's not a definite no, but I know everyone's accepted their invitation at the minute. It just depends if they can travel there or not. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think once um, once we first went into lockdown and, and this all um, happened with COVID-19, I sort of said to myself, the games is probably going to have a change somewhere along the lines um, because we, we went to lockdown in March and um, I was already sort of mentally preparing for, for it not to go as how it should have been. And then we got told um, there's going to be no spectators. And I was like, okay, that, that's, that's still a big difference for me because a big part of me going to the games is being able to, to live it with my family and my mm. friends have been, have been there sort of everyday training with me. And it wouldn't be the same if I wasn't there without them. So it was like, yeah, it's a bit of a bummer because I've not, not got the people around me I want there, but I'm still going to be able to compete. And then they took the national uh, champ spots away. And uh, I remember I was having a date night with my girlfriend and um, my phone was just going mental. And at the, at the start of the night, we said, right, we're not going to go on the phones, just, just us just chat and whatnot. And I was like, babe, this my phone's going mental. I think I need to check it. And uh, I found out via Instagram and just people messaging me um, that they cut the national champ spots. And I think a lot of the people who are close to me were more annoyed for me than mm. actually I was because mentally I already sort of prepared myself for, for a change. Um, and I was just, I think I was just always thinking of the bigger picture because there's a lot of people who were during COVID losing their lives, losing, losing their jobs. Um, so there was a lot sort of bigger picture going on. And even though it's been a seven year goal of me, of mine to get to the games, there's people who are in a lot worse situations than I am. So if you look at it in that sense, it, it's, it's definitely not the end of the world, not being able to compete at the games. Obviously I would, I'd absolutely love to, and it's been my dream for so long, but, um, 
but yeah, I'm still healthy. My family's safe and healthy. So in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not a major deal. Um, but yeah, a lot of the people who are close to me were, were very annoyed. I mean, that's an incredibly mature outlook to take on this. And one thing I think that I've really admired about the CrossFit community is the fact that there have been a lot of changes um, and there have been a lot of things going on. And we'll get to some, some other issues that have been occurring in the CrossFit space. But a lot of the reaction, especially to changes that have occurred around the COVID-19 pandemic, have been pretty understanding. I, I don't want to say that's a, a blanket case, right? But you know, you don't yeah. you don't see a lot of athletes kind of taking to Instagram and, and complaining that the games have been changed because of this massive global pandemic. Everyone's just doing their best to roll with the punches, and you know, everyone understands that it's not it's not any one person's fault in the CrossFit community that the games are going to look different this year, or in fact, that the games are you know, it's still unclear if they're even going to happen in 2020 let's be honest you yeah. know what i mean yeah i think i think um covid 19 is, is is spiked a lot in um in america isn't it in, in certain areas it, it, it hasn't in california i mean we're recording this podcast on on july 23rd and we won't record it we won't actually release it for a little bit uh for maybe you know a couple of weeks after we record it but um you know California, where the CrossFit Games was was moved to, um, the ranch in Aromas, it has gone kind of back into lockdown, so to speak, or they, yeah. they've kind of moved back a couple phases or a phase. Um, so, you know, everyone had thought that kind of by mid-August, and then it was by mid-September, well, maybe things will be open enough for people to be able to travel in. No spectators, but, you know, for a competition to actually be approved. Unclear if that's going to happen, because... Um, of cases in the state and also the, the actual County where the ranch is also has to give approval. And it's, it's unclear um, if or when that would come through. So still a lot up in the air, frankly. Yeah. It's, um, I think, I think every athlete at the minute, even if they've got their spot, I think they still got to have the mentality that it might not be going ahead because yeah, there's so many different variables that could happen between now and September. Um, like the whole world could have another spike and then we're back to square one. So, yeah, I think it's um, a very uncertain time that you've just got to sort of roll with, roll with it week in, week out because it's always changing, isn't it? Well, one thing I also want to chat about is, you know, it hasn't been just the COVID-19 pandemic that's kind of upended or at least caused a lot of change in the CrossFit community this summer. It's, yeah. it's been the fact that the the unthinkable in many ways had happened has happened and that the company is has is being sold or has been sold or is in, is in the process, a little unclear. It's ha- supposed to happen this month. Um, after a yeah. lot of, a lot of quotes, recordings, allegations surfaced that basically called out uh, a, a very toxic workplace culture, uh, allegedly, and also some comments that Greg Glassman, the founder of CrossFit made that people said were incredibly insensitive. And uh, it's been something where diversity in CrossFit was really called into question. And, and, um, you know, I don't want to wax poetic too much, but it's clear that the CrossFit community has demanded change. And I think the sale of CrossFit to Eric Rosa is a prime example of that. What do you think... Um, or are you optimistic about the future of CrossFit and CrossFit HQ, given all that has happened over the last two months? Yeah, I think um, when all that kicked off, I, I was very vocal over my social media, and mm-hmm. um, straight away I was I said my piece. I said I'm I'm not going to back CrossFit. Um, I wouldn't go to the CrossFit Games. I wouldn't be an affiliate any longer um, because he can't just get away and say the things he said. Um, and what he did say doesn't reflect the CrossFit community whatsoever. 
So I think that was one of the most annoying factors is if anyone outside of the CrossFit circle could have read a magazine and said and saw what the CEO of CrossFit said and just automatically assumed that was the the view and the voice of, mm. of the CrossFit community, which it, which it wasn't at all. It's, it's the total opposite. Um, I've never come across any sort of discomfort or racial abuse for the whole time I've been doing CrossFit and I've competed around the world in different competitions. I've been to several different boxes um, and, and that's never been the case. So it was it was good to see other athletes um, along with myself really sort of speak out for the community who might not have the voice to be able to, or the platform to be able to say what they wanted to say and sort of demand that change. Um, and I think that's the only way I would have got back into CrossFit is if Glassman sold sold the company um, because him stepping down as CEO just wasn't, wasn't good enough because he still would have got all the profits from, from CrossFit. Um, so to see him sell it is, is a really good step in the right direction. And I think going forward, we just need to give Eric a chance to see where he takes CrossFit um, because that's already been a massive change that they've, they've done. And I think they've still got other changes to be made. and They've still got to prove that they are going to take CrossFit in the right direction. Um, so I think only time will tell, but we do need to give them the chance to to see how it's going to play out over the next year or so. But um, I think it's it's definitely exciting and definitely extremely positive for CrossFit. Do you think people were were looking to you maybe more than other athletes while all this was going on because you're a black athlete or an athlete of color? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think it was a combination of of that and along with um, winning the UK Open. Um, along with um, high-level athlete, but then I also am a, a CrossFit boxer owner as well. Mm. So I've got lots of different sort of angles where I'm involved within CrossFit. Um, so when I made the post, I got a lot of messages from the CrossFit community just saying thank you that I actually spoke out. And I wasn't scared to, to to say my piece. And I think that was really rewarding for me to see how many people were appreciative of, of what I said. and. Um, I was really glad that I could speak for the CrossFit community and speak on their behalf and, and use my platform for a positive change. Um, and I think, yeah, I'd lo- love to see how, how people are appreciative of that. It, it made it very worthwhile. If you could say one thing to folks who might not be super familiar with the CrossFit community, they might have heard of it, they might have been observing kind of what was going on, but they might not have that insider's perspective that you have uh, or that you know, a lot of people listening to this podcast might have as members of the fitness community. So if you could say one yeah. thing to those outside observers about the CrossFit community, what might that be? Mm, I would say it's, I think every box I've been to, you always get the same family feel from a CrossFit box. So across the community, it doesn't matter what age, gender, uh, where you're from, what, what color you are. As soon as you walk through that, that door, you're going to be made to feel part of the family straight away. And that's been the case in every box I've walked into. And I think that's one of the, the biggest reasons CrossFit has grown so much and so many people continue to do CrossFit is because of the community and how inclusive it is. Um, and you, you've got people who who'd never thought they'd be able to do a burpee, let alone after a couple of half a year they're doing complicated gymnastic movements or complicated barbell movements and it doesn't matter if you're a beginner to a top elite athlete everyone's in that box for the same reasons and everyone pushes each other and it is like a a massive family 
And it's definitely the aspect of CrossFit that kept me going from the start was was that community aspect and and just being just like I said, just being a family and and not just walking into a gym with your headphones in and, and not sort of speaking to anyone. Um, as soon as everyone walks into that door, it's it's like everyone's social aspect of their life. Um, and yeah, it's, it's made such a big difference to my life, and I know so many other people it's made a big difference to. Well, Zach, I, I very much appreciate that that perspective, and it's obvious that Cross has had a huge impact on your life, and not only the community having an impact on you, but you on the community opening your own CrossFit affiliate and and building a community kind of of your own there. So it certainly comes that certainly comes through in how you describe it. Um, well, where's the best place for people to keep up to date with your training and uh, with you know your progress as an athlete? Yeah, so definitely, uh, my Instagram is uh, Zach George, and I mainly just use that to post loads of workouts for people to to motivate and to inspire people. Um, so yeah, if you, if you ever want a, a good workout idea, head, head over to my page and then uh, you'll see several workouts of me dying on my page. <laughs> and if you try the, if you try Zach's workouts and they're miserable, don't blame Zach. You chose to do that. Yeah. I just want to clarify. Every, every single one will be guaranteed horrible. <laughs> Zach, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Nice to meet. Thank you. Cheers.